Thank you, thank you. Happy Father's Day to every father in the house. I am exhausted, but I'm excited to be here uh, because um, after a week of being surrounded by kids and amazing leaders, um, I just want to share some things with you guys. And um, I, ha- I planned on sharing the lessons we shared with the kids to you guys uh, because I already had the slides and it was just easy. And, uh, but then I got a picture on Friday afternoon that just train wrecked it all. And I want to show you that picture. Um, that picture is one, a picture of one of our campers who on Friday, it began to dawn on him that he was not coming on Saturday. And that small group leader is Noel in the pink shirt, and he was most bummed that he was not going to see her. And this wasn't the only child, this is one of the ones that got captured, and when I saw this picture, it just changed things. I began to realize, like, this, this is what the church should be to our community. This is what a family looks like to a child. They, they love to be around them. They long to be close to them. And so this morning, I just want to share a message that would help us um, just create an environment that creates this. Um, so this is a if the shoe fits, wear it message today. Um, it certainly fits for Father's Day because fathers, families need you. Uh, moms, families need you as well. Grandparents, kids need you. Aunts, uncles, they need you. Um, church, our community is full of kids that need you. And so this morning, I want to share about how we can create a culture that produces moments uh, like that one you just saw. Um, as a ministry leader and as a father, I, I try to create environments. And I want to give you a phrase of something that we've kind of tried to do, but it's also something that I've tried to do in my own home. And I want to offer it to you as, as a mission statement or a goal um, for you and your family. And that is to create a culture that values kids so that our temporary relationship with them is strong enough to pass on a genuine, eternal faith. Now, I know there's a word up there that's probably giving you some trouble, and that's probably the word temporary. We don't like the word temporary because it's, it's limiting. We don't like to be limited. Let me ask a question. How many people in here love the idea of time? Okay, let me ask it this way. How many people in here would love to have more time? Okay, okay, do you guys see the problem? We don't like the idea of time, but we would love more of it. How does that make sense? We don't like the concept of time because we see it as a limiting force, but we'd love more time because it would empower us and give us more opportunity. So I have some good news and some bad news for you. The bad news is time is not going away anytime soon. But the good news is 
Time is not going away anytime soon. So what do we do with this news? Well, we pray. We pray like Moses prayed. Moses was one of the most God-fearing men we see in the Bible. And he was a busy guy. And he had a lot of kids to take care of. And there was a lot of drama in his life. And so he prayed a prayer that was so important, it made it into the Bible. In Psalm 90, verse 12, he prayed, teach me to number my days aright, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. So I'm going to pray that prayer for us today as we get started. Father God, we just come before you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. And I pray blessings of wisdom and revelation that we would understand who we are in this moment, that we would see um, what you see, we would hear what you want us to hear, and that we would gain a heart of wisdom that we could number our days are right. And I just pray a blessing over every father and mother and grandparent, aunt and uncle and church member. I pray blessing over everyone here that we would draw closer to your ways today. In Jesus' name. And all Calvary kids said, amen. It's a hard habit to break. So time. I want to spend some time talking about time. Time is not our enemy. Time is a gift we have all been given. Time is God's idea, and time matters. Several months, or several years ago, I came across this illustration of time, or the passing of time, and it was a challenge that somebody said, grab yourself a jar and buy 936 marbles and put them in there. 936 is the estimated number of weeks that a child has between birth and the day they graduate or move on to what's next. And then the challenge was, after each week passes, take a marble out. Take another marble out the next week that passes. And over time, just keep taking the marbles out. And so basically, people realized... I'm losing my marbles, (laughs) which is what I'm here to tell you today. You're all losing your marbles. But a funny thing happened after um, people began doing this, they realized some things. It reminded them to value their time. It made each week matter a little bit more. It reinforced a very simple principle. When you see the amount of time you have left, you tend to do more with what you have. So I thought this was brilliant. So I went out, I bought a thousand marbles, got a nice little jar, poured them all in there and brought them home. Then my kids got into them. I'm like, no, those are daddy's marbles. They didn't care. I'm still finding marbles under the couch and behind dressers to this day. And so um, as brilliant an idea this was, it didn't really work out for me, but I have good news. There is an app for this. There's an app called the Parent Q app, and this is actually one of the things we use every Sunday. The Parent Q cues you to the conversation that we just had with your kids during the Bible lesson, and it cues you to some conversation starters that you could continue the conversation at home, but it also 
tracks the weeks you have left. And so what you do is you download the ParentQ app, load it on your phone, and then you put your kids' names in there and their birth dates, and boom, it tells you how many weeks you have left. And I want to show you what my family looks like. Um, I have my, my youngest daughter, Karis. You might not be able to see it, but it says 707 weeks left. And so she moves on to what's next. And then my next son is Sam. And I also have 707 weeks because they're twins. So 707 weeks left with twins. Please pray. (laughs) Please pray for me. But then my nine-year-old, Ben, 631 weeks left until he moves on to what's next. And then my 15-year-old, Nathan. There he is. 319 weeks until he moves on to what's next. Those numbers are getting smaller. And you tend to do more with the time you have left when you can see how much time you have. And so my oldest daughter, Kessid, She's gone. No more weeks left with her at home. She is now married on to the next phase of life. And I got to tell you, when her numbers of weeks moved from three digits to two digits, that was a game changer. I realized I'm running out of time. And I got to do something with that time. All those cool ideas of, of mother, father, daughter, date, dates and stuff like that, all that Became, had to become a reality. And so I began to push a little bit harder and stay a little more focused. Because if you don't track the time, you're going to lose track of it. And it's going to go away. And you're going to miss out. And so I want to encourage you guys, as difficult and painful as that was and is, track the time with your kids. Because you tend to do more t- with the time you have left when you can see how much time you have. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 gives us um, insight into why visualizing time is so beneficial. It says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, it may not be obvious to you, but this verse is all about time. It says, be very careful how you live, live wisely. Remember the prayer of Moses? Lord, teach me to number my days aright that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And then the last part of the verse says, for the days are evil. That word days refers to time. This verse is like a time sandwich. You have two references of time on the front and the back, but we all know the good sandwich, all the good stuff is in the middle. So in the middle, we read, making the most of every opportunity. And that word opportunity in the Greek is the word kairos. Kairos is often used when speaking about times and season, but when it's properly translated, it's time as opportunity, which means time is the opportunity. Every moment holds another opportunity. So you could read the verse this way. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every moment you've been given because the days are evil. Time is important. But more importantly, what you do with time matters. And time is God's idea. God knows that some things about time, 
And he knows that there are just some things that only can be accomplished with the passing of time. Take Moses, for example. God wanted to raise up a deliverer for his, for his people out of the hands of the Egyptians. So he brings Moses into the picture, puts him in the Pharaoh's house, the perfect person to do what God calls him to do. And then when Moses realized who he was and what his destiny was all about, he decided to take matters into his own hands, and he killed an Egyptian soldier, and he ran for his life. He spends many, many, many years on the backside of a desert. And after a lot of time passes, God shows up to a very different Moses, Joseph. Joseph, a young man, the favorite son, maybe a little bit arrogant in his age. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. And after many years of his slavery, he was imprisoned for something he didn't do. Why he was in slavery for so long and why was he in prison for so long, I don't know. But I do know this, that when he was released, he was given an incredible amount of power and authority, and he handled it well. There are just some things that can only be understood through the passing of time. Why did God wait so much time before sending Jesus? Because he waited, we see countless acts of of idolatry, selfishness, and deception. But on the flip side, because he waited, we also see countless acts of mercy where God showed love and grace. We see a father choose to be faithful over and over and over. And because he waited, we can grasp the idea that his love truly endures forever. It's as if God decided, I can help you understand something with time that you can never really understand in a moment. There are aspects of God's nature and secrets about life that are so intricate, they just take time to decipher. It's if our Heavenly Father chooses to clarify and solidify certain values on our hearts over time, then maybe that's the best way to cultivate what matters most in the hearts of our own children and the children we serve. The most powerful gift we give to our kids is what we give them week after week after week. The most valuable thing you can give is your time. And as the church, I think it's important that we realize there are certain things that can only be communicated, understood, and discovered over time. So I'd like to share with you four ideas that will take some time to personalize and some time to implement, but if we commit to doing them over time, then we will learn to value, nurture, and propel the next generation into living for God. And so let's start with what matters most, love. Love over time communicates worth. If you want to know what kids and teenagers need over time, love is a great place to start. Without love, nothing else in life really makes sense. Let's take music, for example. Without love, there would be no Aretha, Adele, Dolly. There would be no Elvis, Elton, Eagles, or maybe even the Beatles. Without love, the blues would be beige. Country music would be about beer and tractors. Rock and roll would need a lot more guitar solos. And rap, well, rap would probably stay the same. But the point is the world just wouldn't be a good place without love. Love is probably the best idea that ever came along, and we all know who came up 
with the idea of love. And because we understand that love was God's idea, it helps us understand why an infant needs the touch of a mother. It's why a child craves the approval of their father and why a teenager longs to be a part of a group. And although all of us in here would probably agree that love matters, it's interesting to me how we still have a tendency to go through life acting like love is not what matters most. Somehow we get so busy trying to matter that we forget what actually matters. And this reminds me of a well-known group of men in the Bible called the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day, and they definitely believed in God, and they spent more time than anyone learning and doing what they thought mattered. No one worked harder at keeping the rules, showing up at the church more consistently, praying longer and harder, and studying more diligently. But they were so busy doing important things that they missed the most important thing. But thankfully, Jesus steps in to show them, and thankfully, continues to step into our lives and show us what matters most. Because there's a tendency for all of us to drift and lose focus and major on what's minor. In one sentence, Jesus reprioritized what's most important. Matthew 22, verse 37, the greatest commandment is to love. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, your soul, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love matters. Loving God matters. Loving yourself matters. Loving others matters. But let me take it one step further. Love matters more in the life of a child than it does in an adult. It's like investing. The sooner you put in, the more you get back. But the later, the longer you wait, the less you receive. Kids desperately need someone to love them in a way that will convince them they are worth loving. If kids don't feel loved when they're young, they may never learn to love themselves in a healthy way. And if they never learn to love themselves, life's going to be hard. Basically, kids need to learn to love themselves while they're kids. So the way you love them over time while they're kids will dramatically affect their futures. The time you spend makes a difference. So the time you spend playing, reading, talking, it's all worth it because they're worth it. So if you want your kids to grow up and know they're worth it, then we must look for ways to prove it. And here are three simple ways to do that. First one, show up. Show up predictably and unpredictably over time. All of our kids have schedules, appointments, practices, recitals. Show up. If you say you're going to show up, show up. Be there. Let them know they can count on you. And then every once in a while, just show up because you want to. Show up to their lunchtime with a bag of McDonald's. Or check them out early from school, go for ice cream. Show up unpredictably. But there's a new challenge that we all face these days in, from the pull of technology. We can be with our kids at a park or in the living room or at their recital, but not really be with our kids. Our head is down and we're scrolling and texting and working with that electronic thing in our hands. The funny thing is, this device... Nothing happens when you give it attention. You don't change this device at all. But when you give your kids attention, it changes them forever. It will never be molded by our attention, but our kids, we can change their futures. We have to decide that they matter more over time. The second thing is to know them. 
Take time to discover who they are. Knowing your kids is not like knowing the quadratic formula. Kids are constantly changing over time, and you must keep getting to know them over time. Knowing them means knowing their strengths and knowing their weaknesses. It's easy to show love when they're in their strengths, but we need to show them love when they're in their weaknesses. Um, I learned this with my oldest daughter, uh, Kessid. Um, she's a brilliant kid, super smart, straight A's. Um, but, you know, when it comes to common sense, I guess, I don't know how else to put it, um, she, she struggles. It's kind of her weakness, kind of her um, difficulty. And, and she also has type 1 diabetes, which means the dad speech that I would love to give, that made it difficult. Because constantly my daughter would call me from school and say, hey, I, I forgot my lunch. And for a diabetic, she has to have her lunch. I, can't, I couldn't say, well, tough it out. I had to go. And when she called me up and said, my, I, I forgot to refill the pump. I need some medicine. I can't say, tough it out. You should have thought of that. The dad's speech didn't work because the reality is her struggle was my struggle. And I had to live that. I had to show that. So when she was struggling, I was struggling. And so every time she called me, I was there. Was I excited about it? No. But did I show up when she needed me? Yes. Now, for me, it was like I kind of had to, I was forced into that because of that, that condition, but it showed me the truth of showing up, and it showed me the value of bearing one another's burdens and understanding that her struggle is my struggle. And I don't know if you know this, but your kids, they have struggles. Their struggles should be your struggles. Sometimes that you should have thought this through speech, doesn't show love. Not that we should never help them and correct them and teach them, but sometimes they just need to know, I'm for you, and I'm with you, and your struggle, it's my struggle too, and we're going to get through this together. And I'm going to give you some advice along the way, but we're in this together. And it was love that helped me understand that we shared that struggle. The last thing we can do to show love is don't check out. Stay in the game. Life with kids is messy. Rules will be broken. Emotions will be illogical. And your authority will be challenged. And when that happens, just decide. You're worth it. I'm showing up anyway. I don't care. I'm, I'm in your court. I'm for you. And we're going to get through this together. What you do this week for your kid matters. Now, the second idea I want to share with you, what we can do over time, is actually the best way we could use to show love to those kids around you. If you want to show the kids around you that you love them, you should probably tell them. We tend to underestimate the power of our words But when we understand the power of a spoken word, we then can be strategic with how we use our words because words over time bring direction. 
Now, I don't want to overcomplicate this, but I do need you to see the importance of words at their most basic level. Words help us learn. Words help us see. They, words help us understand. The way you see the world is shaped by the words you use to express it. Research has shown that in order to think a thought, paint a picture, do a math problem, you need words. And without words, people are limited. So if words allow us to think, see, and interpret, they must be a big deal to God. And after all, everything started with a word. The first words we know about were God said, let there be light. And words have been helping us see ever since. God's word had power, but he didn't reserve that power of words to himself. He shared it. Adam, he didn't get to create the animals, but he did get to name them. He looked at the animals and said, you're a giraffe. Yeah, we'll call you a giraffe, and you're an elephant, elephant, and you uh, got a duckbill platypus. We're going to call you a duckbill platypus. With words, Adam defined identity, and we have the ability with our words to give identity and meaning to those around us as well. By sharing with us the power of words and communication, God actually gives us tremendous responsibility. Proverbs teaches that the tongue has the power of life and death. Words may seem like small things, but they have tremendous influence and they can impact someone's direction. Every time you speak to a child, you're reinforcing and expanding their vocabulary. You are giving them words, words that will shape how they see the world, how they see themselves, and how they'll see God. And the words you use can set them up to feel um, valued, significant, and unique. Or you can unintentionally make them feel boxed in, less than, or trapped. The other, uh, quite a few years ago, I picked up my, my son, Nathan. He was six years old at the time. And I picked him in the car line. And within 30 seconds of being in the car, he shoved this picture in my face and said, Dad, look. The teacher said I did great. He showed me this picture. It had a bunch of scribbles on it, you know, and six-year-old scribbles. And he told me that the teacher came up to him and said, you did great. And he was over the moon about it. The way he tells the story, it was as if the teacher stopped everything and had everybody look at this new prodigy art student. But as adults, we kind of understand what it probably was more like. One art teacher in the room full of students, all scribbling, and he's walking through, making his rounds, and he looked down at my son, Nathan, and this interaction probably took four or five seconds, half of that for him to say, you did great. But after he said that, my son actually believed what he did was great. He began to believe he was great. And then he had the ability to be greater. And to this day, he, he, he's moved on from the scribbling with crayons. And he's now grabbed a camera and he's become very talented and artistic with the use of a camera. And I just can't help but think maybe the words of an art teacher had something to do with that. God gave us words so we can communicate them over time. To communicate love to build each other up, to move us in a better direction. And two ways that we can use words is first 
we can learn a new language. Learn the words they need to hear. Every age responds to a different vocabulary. If you have a toddler, you know what I mean. If you have a teenager, I don't know what they mean, but <laughs> it's there. It's, they, have a, they have their own vocabulary, and we need to learn it. The second thing is um, weigh what you say, because some words are more count more than others. Find the ones that have the most weight with your kid and repeat them often. Every kid needs to know they matter and love communicates worth. And kids, in the beginning, they don't know much. They don't know who they are or what they're capable of. And words, over time, brings direction. And another core need that every kid longs for that can only truly be filled over time is the need to belong. So tribes, over time, Show us how we belong. I'm sure everyone in here at some point has experienced what it feels like um, to be in a room full of strangers, the new guy on the job, or trying to find a seat in a crowded cafeteria. And it's easy to feel awkward and uncomfortable and alone. But these feelings don't have long-term effects because if they happen occasionally, because you know we're, we're resilient people, we're optimistic, and we're driven by this need to belong. It's, it's why you take showers. It's why you spend too much on clothes. And it's why each one of you have a preferred hair care product on the counter at home. We're all trying to fit in somewhere. But if the feeling of not belonging persists, the complications of not belonging over time can seriously impair the future of a child. According to Stanford professor, um, isolation Loneliness and low social status can harm a person's subjective sense of well-being, their intellectual achievement, as well as their immune function and health. Basically, people need people. Everybody needs a tribe. And tribes show us how we belong. Just like love and words were God's idea, so were tribes. Think back to creation. God didn't want Adam to be alone, so he brought Eve. People are always a part of God's plan, and maybe that's why tribes matter so much. They exist to remind us that we belong to God, and we belong together. When God wanted to redeem his creation, he started with a tribe. He created a nation, set them apart. They had their own faith, their customs, and their own traditions. Then through that tribe, God sent his son. Tribes have mattered for a long time because they are one of God's primary ways to communicate his love for us. And faith is actually released in the context of relationships, and tribes are all about relationships. The Pharisees, they were leaders, but they failed to understand the value and the purpose of a tribe. They understood the value of keeping the rules of the tribe, but they failed to understand the strength the tribe had in making people feel welcomed, accepted, and loved. And again, in steps Jesus to bring clarity back to the value of a tribe over time. Many of us know the story of the prodigal son, the son who wanted his inheritance early. The father gave it to him, and he took off and spent it on poor choices and terrible lifestyles, and he ended up broke and broken. And he decides it would be better off as a servant in my father's house, so he decides to start going back home. And the story 
picks up where the father sees the son over the hill and he begins to run to his son. The Bible says he ran to his son and threw his arms around him. Do you think, it's, do you think the father felt like the son was still part of the tribe? Yeah, he did. He was so excited. His son was back. But sometimes it doesn't really matter what the father thinks or what we intend. All that really matters is how our kids are feeling. And look at what the kid felt. He had his speech ready to go. He said, Father, I have sinned against you, and I am no longer worthy to be your son. He had felt he had messed up too much to be in the tribe. But the father acts quickly and decisively. He finds a ring, puts it on his finger, and he throws a party. He gives him the ring to show them, nope, you're still, you're still my son. You're still part of the family. And he throws a party to show up. There is still a community that you belong to. He wanted to send a clear message. There's still a seat for you at the table. There is a place where you are known, where you are welcomed, and you are forgiven where you belong. Our kids need tribes over time. They need to be known before they can feel welcomed. They need to be known before they can feel like they belong. They need to be known before they can feel forgiven. Don't miss that one. Don't miss that. Sometimes you just need people in your life that know you and know what you've done, and they have a history with you. Because the reality is you can't truly feel forgiven by people that don't know you. Which means the power of forgiveness can only truly be felt in the context of a tribe. Mom, dad, grandparents, church. Our kids and the kids within our reach need tribes, and they won't stop looking until they find one. Together, we need to make knowing them, accepting them, and walking with them a priority. What we do over time matters. Love over time communicates worth. Words over time communicates direction. Tribes over time show us how we belong. These three simple ideas can change the course of a child. But our last idea of the day, I hope you'll pay careful attention to, because it's the most effective way to stay connected to our kids, and that is fun. Fun over time deepens the relationship. Having fun matters. Kids were created with what scientists call a play drive. Scientific research and the Bible back me up on this. As a result of 30 years of research, uh, Stuart Brown has some interesting things to say. He warns us about the dangers of play deprivation, especially when kids are young. He concluded it is crucial for kids and adults to keep playing. According to Brown, the opposite of play is not work, it's depression. He goes on to say that through modern breakthroughs in the science of neuroimaging techniques, they can see that nothing lights up the brain like play. So when you play with children and teenagers, you enter into their world. And according to Dr. Lawrence Cohen, a psychologist and a play therapist, that sounds like an awesome job. Play is where children show their inner feelings and experiences that they are either unable or refuse to talk about. That's why we have to join children where they live and on their terms. In other words, as parents and as a church, play actually opens up the door so you can go deeper in your relationships with kids and teenagers. Fun isn't a waste of time. Fun over time deepens the relationship. See, we were made to have fun, but 
If you're like the average adult, one day you grew out of it. It's possible that you've lost that playing feeling. And now it's gone, <laughs> gone, gone. Somebody got it. Somebody hasn't lost it. I think part of the problem is that sometimes we as adults or Christians, we just take ourselves too seriously. I mean, look at some of the social media posts. Like, what the heck? We need to adjust our perspective of what fun is. We need to laugh a little more, dance a little longer, play a little harder, but only if you want the kids in your world to want to be around you and if you want to deepen that relationship. Let's be honest. Most of us are more worried about kids sinning than we are about them playing. Here's a deep thought that, that, that might cause some, some argument, but it's a healthy debate to have, I think. Maybe it's more of a sin not to have fun than it is to do some fun things that some people consider sin. I'll say it again. Maybe it's more of a sin not to have fun than it is to do some fun things that some people consider sin. Now, I'm not talking about the blatant biblical sin that we read about, the hatred, anger, malice, murder, none of that stuff. I'm talking about... No, I probably shouldn't say that. No, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Like, what's wrong with going up the slide backwards? Like, really? There are no rules posted on any playground. What is wrong with going up the slide backwards? I mean, as long as there's not a kid wanting to come down or go in your way, what's wrong with it? Why do kids want to go up the slide backwards? Because it's, it's fun. And it makes me feel real awkward when I'm the only parent at the playground not shouting no when my kids are running up the slide. They're having fun. So I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with it. Also, God, he takes having fun seriously, so seriously. In fact, when he wants us to focus on our relationship with him, he tells us to sing, dance, celebrate, eat, drink, sweet tea, and be joyful. <laughs> I'm a children's pastor. I gotta, that's, that's my bent. It, it's more than okay to have fun. It's actually a command, or it's at least a strong suggestion. The word fun might not be in the Bible, but all of its relatives are. May the righteous be glad. Rejoice in the Lord. There's a time to dance. Celebrate a festival. A cheerful heart is good medicine, and the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Evidently, when God wants us to think of our relationship with Him, He wants us to think of it like a party. And everybody loves a good party, especially kids. So let's start having more fun. And remember, it's okay to have fun just for fun's sake. You were made to have fun, and you were made to have fun together. Fun over time deepens a relationship, but how? I have some thoughts. Fun over time convinces your kids you actually like them. Now, I'm sure your kids know you love them. But do they think you like them? They may never be confident that you like them until you start having fun with them. Fun over time can reconnect what's been disconnected. 
When something comes between you relationally, fun can be the bridge that rebuilds trust. And last thing, fun over time fosters resilience. Life's hard. And if we want our kids to grow up and push through the heartache, tragedy, and disappointment that life can bring, they need a collection of fun memories to assure them that life goes on, that the joys of living far outweigh the pain that sometimes shows up. I could spend a few more minutes telling you how to have fun, but I think the best thing is the next time you're around some kids, just ask them. They will tell you. And when they tell you, be ready to have fun. As parents and church at a church, we need to take our cues from the kids and start acting like fun actually matters. What you do for a kid over time matters. Love, words, tribes, fun will never amount to much without time. Love without time is just infatuation, but love over time gives kids worth. Words over time, without time, are just nouns and verbs, but words over time bring direction. Tribes without time are just familiar faces, but tribes with time show them how they belong. And fun without a time is just a game, but fun over time can deepen the relationship. When we as a church family combine love, words, tribes, and fun over time, we create a culture where kids are valued and one in which they feel valued. And when they know we value them, they will allow us to lead them. And together, we will lead them to the maker of all time who has an amazing plan waiting for them.